This is our last session together, and then we're going to commission you to your cohort. So that means you need to sit again with that same group of people. The style is going to be very similar. We're going to be interacting this way, but you're going to be interacting with the people sitting around you, okay? Is that still good? Thumbs up. Everybody good to go? You still like the people you're sitting next to, right? It's okay if you don't, because love isn't chemistry. See, I trapped you. Got you. See that? Okay. All right. Uh, well, welcome back. Um, I really appreciated how Lincoln started to press us into the practicals of conversational dynamics. Have you figured this out, that uh, the love of Christ controls us and compels us towards others? Which means if you're like, oh, I'm not a people person, well, you're a Christian. So in some ways, what that means is you care about people, regardless of your natural skill set or not. Conversational dynamics, I do think, even without being a master at them, uh, being interested in others is a part of the package for being a believer in Jesus, right? So being an introvert or an extrovert, those might describe your preference, but all of us are controlled by, by Christ-like character and the fruit of the Spirit. I hope that's increasingly evident, evident to you. Uh, the other thing I would say is, interestingly enough, most of our lives, I think, Lincoln, uh, we didn't say this in our little interview, but um, are spent by preparing for things that we can control and then like doing a presentation in class or something, right? Which is why the Bible study track is like, let me present, maybe prepare and let me present. Let me do some work on a paper and then submit the paper. The awkward thing about people and, you know, discipleship, so to speak, is that you can't really control the interaction, you can't prepare for it because people might say squirrely and unexpected things. In which case, there is a degree to which you're improvising in the moment and responding and listening. It's more of a dynamic process that unfolds with people. But let me highlight again what I mean by Discipleship 101. What I mean by it is doing, taking the initiative to do people spiritual good. That means to have the agenda of Jesus Christ formed in people. Yeah, you know, the Sloan School of Management, like I said, can do conversational skills. But brothers and sisters, we're not, we're not therapists. We don't have an agenda to grind. We're not trying to interview people or hunt down their issues. No. But we want to take the initiative to have substantive conversations that do spiritual good in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what we're after. That's what we're after. So again, conversational dynamics are this mixture of initiative to speak. That's what Lincoln talked about. And right now, I'm going to shift our conversation a little bit towards the initiative, excuse me, initiative to listen, which is what Lincoln talked about. And I would like to shift the conversation now to consider what it means to have redemptive conversations for us to where we take initiative to speak. Okay? So uh, the discipleship track has been, do you know? Do you care? That was yesterday. Now it's initiative to listen. And right now, it's initiative to speak. It's initiative to speak. So I'm going to frame our time from Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, uh, here's the thesis of everything I'm going to say, is that you and I, as believers in Jesus, will be called upon to open up our mouths and speak words of encouragement. Christ-like encouragement. You will be called upon, wherever you are in life at times, to open up your mouth and to speak words of encouragement. How many of you have ever heard the word encouragement before? Yeah? Anybody on board with encouraging people? Everyone's in, on board with feeling encouraged, even Hallmark again. And yet Christian encouragement is what I want to talk to you about, and we're going to just spend a little bit of time. How do you open up your mouth and help another person? Here's where we're going to go. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, this is on page 62. 
says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So in Hebrews chapter 10, we have those three let us statements. That's let us, not lettuce like salad. Let us, let us, let us. And, and I underline them for you because the, the author here in this section of Hebrews is exhorting us to, to draw near to Jesus because he's the superior high priest. For us to come to God, for us to have a delighted relationship with Jesus. Do you see the agenda of spiritual good? And here is where, in verse 24 and 25, I want to just put the magnifying glass over it a little bit because I think the author of Hebrews talks a little bit about what redemptive conversations look like among Christians. Here's what it looks like. Verse 24. We're going to talk about first the need for encouragement. Just verse 24 and verse 25. Do you see that? The need for encouragement. Uh, Look at this real quick. It says in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. All right, go to your cohorts. Here's what we're gonna do. Those are two questions that are on your outline. What's implied by the instruction to stir up one another? And why do you think that requires careful consideration? Okay, so the way you speak, the author says, that we need to speak words that stir up one another, and we need to think carefully how to do it. All right, talk amongst yourselves, and we're gonna bring it back. That's your first assignment. What's implied? All right, now I've kind of... um, I've stirred you up to think about stirring one another up. See what I've done there. Hopefully we've primed the pump. Bring it back together here and all of the conversation you're having together, let's have it all together. Um, Let's talk about that image real quick. What's implied? Stir up, stir up. What do you you think the author is trying to do there? What's implied by that imagery? Let's talk about that a bit. Stirring up one another. What did you guys talk about in your groups? Yes, Caitlin. Say it again. Conviction. You're saying that that's a, like a synonym. Okay. Yeah. If you have to stir something, what's implied? If you know, like you have a cup of whatever and you got to, please stir before consuming. What's that mean on the box? It's just something separated or settled on the bottom, right? So best enjoyed if you've stirred it up. <laughs> yes. Brian's talking about cooking now. Is everybody on this? We're, we're all into the culinary arts at the moment. But the whole point, right, you're saying is it needs to be, you used a synonym. What was it? Agitated. What are some other synonyms for stir up? Stir up. What makes it, what, what brings you to, what does that image do for you when I say you need to stir this up? Other, other words that are synonyms to that. Let's get this going. What else? Sorry, go ahead. You need to kind of inspire, bring something. in. Yeah, energize, right? Yeah, I think that is what is being implied. Think about this. The author has said, Jesus is supreme. I want you to draw near to Jesus. But you know, when it comes to Christians, this is your fill-in. We need to be provoked toward good. Do you realize that? Do you know that even after you become a Christian, 
There are things in life, there are forces at work, there's something about living in a life, in, your life in a fallen world where there's disappointment and struggle and sin and heartbreak and loss and the world and the flesh and the devil are out there. And let me tell you, there's this grief that you can still carry and Christians struggle with this sediment has settled to the bottom. The zeal is kind of waning. And what this means is that Christians are called, there's a need for encouragement. There's a real need for encouragement. And, and the need is that we need to be provoked to keep on keeping on, to keep on going, because life can be brutal. I suspect you know what that's like. This is why we need to, at times, and why the Lord will call upon you at times, to open up your mouth in a Christian community. Because Praying the prayer or becoming a Christian doesn't, you're not to glory yet. God saved us and he's still saving us and that's why Christians need to talk. Okay. What about that second question? Why do you think that needs, the author doesn't just say, you know, let's, let's stir one another up. The author says, let us consider or, you know, carefully think about how to stir one another up. Why do you think Christian, Christian speaking requires Careful consideration. Let's consider how to stir one another up. Let's talk about that. Brayton? You could stir them up in the wrong way. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Why else does this need careful consideration? We just heard about that. So we're not there to argue with people. That would be stirring them up towards sin. We're not there to provoke their flesh. That's not what the author means. Does everybody see that? It means that we're to speak things that move them towards good. Yeah, why else? What, why else might this? Why is it that sometimes you really have to think about what you say before you open your mouth? We need to think about the occasion that we're speaking in. Like the Proverbs talk about a word like fitly spoken in a setting of silver. Like considering what would most encourage that person specifically. That's right. So we can't just one size fits all it. That's not a verb. But it is now. We can't just do that. There's something as what fits the occasion. Yeah, what fits the occasion? That's a great thought. Yeah. I put First Thessalonians 1, um, 4, I believe, which is on your handout. Right? Excuse me, 514. Um, it says this. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak, be patient with them all. Think about that verse. Maybe someone has shared that with you before. What's Paul doing there to the Thessalonian church? Well, he's making some distinctions in occasion, right? He's saying there are going to be times when somebody is faint-hearted. Think about that with what Lincoln was just presenting a moment ago. Like if you say, hey, how you doing? And they're giving you one-word answers. Do you know what could be happening? They could be discouraged. And sometimes you can be all, take that personally. My discipleship isn't working and all that. I don't know what to say because they've given me these one-word answers. It could be that the occasion is that they are weak and they need help more than they need you to teach them anything or to draw them out in a way that they're not prepared to share on. Does everybody see this? Does anyone have any questions or comments about this? This is incredibly important. As it relates to you opening up your mouth, we need to consider carefully what the occasion is 
And we need to recognize that we all need to be provoked towards good. Let me pause there to see if you guys have any thoughts. Questions, comments, input. What have I provoked in you? I can't tell if that's a hand link. Is that a hand? Yeah. Yeah, why don't we talk about that? So what would be somebody who is idle? Well, it seems as if in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says that that person, what would be most helpful is for somebody, a Christian, to speak words of admonishment or correction. So it seems like for somebody who is idle, a.k.a. they know the right or the good to do, but they are idle or resistant to simply doing it, that person needs an exhortation, correction, or an admonishment. So an idle person is, I'm capable, I understand, I know what to do, but I'm not doing it, just chilling. That person needs correction. Does everybody see that? How to do the correction, when to do the correction, how to rebuke someone is beyond the scope of Discipleship 101. We're not going to talk about that this week. Okay. How to get in the trenches and super do No, we're not talking about that. That's beyond your skill set at this time. That's okay. But that would be an idle person. What would be, let me ask you, what's a faint-hearted person? What do you guys think? Somebody define faint-hearted for me. Scared. They're scared. They're really, yeah. They feel super discouraged. Life has just been brutal. And they feel a little bit beat up. Yeah. What happens if you try to correct somebody who's, that? well, sometimes it doesn't fit the occasion. They need to be brought courage. Yeah. Somebody who is weak is somebody who lacks the ability to execute the thing that they're perhaps called to, and I think they need someone to help them. All of these things, it's not saying that we all fit cleanly into these categories, which is why the last thing is, please be patient with everybody. No, it's not to simply categorize life, but to, but to demonstrate for you speech is different in different occasions. Does everybody see that? Yeah. Any other questions or comments about that? Great question, Link. That's the need of encouragement. Number two, let's talk about this. What about the opposite of encouragement? That's also in verses 25. Look at this, in verse 25a. Verse 25 says to not neglect to meet together as is the habit of, of some. So the, the author's done something, I think, pretty amazing there. He's saying that we should think about how to provoke one another towards keep on keeping on but the opposite of that, it seems like there are people in this audience who he is pointing to, or that the, uh, the original audience would know, that it seems like some people have actually kind of not been in fellowship. Did you notice that? And the insight here, which I find helpful to me, if you want to write it in on your sheet, is that not being in Christian community is actually addictive. Like not being around other brothers and sisters in Christ is habit forming according to the author of Hebrews. Because some people, they don't just not meet together, it says that they're in the habit of doing so. And I think you may know what that is like. I think you might know what that's like. You ever, like, you miss church or you're like not in your fellowship for a while and then you miss one Sunday, let's say, of church or a meeting where there's a Christian community. And then you miss next week again. And then what happens? After two weeks, you're like, well, now it's just kind of weird for me to go back because people are going to be like, hey, where you been? I haven't seen you. And you're like, I don't really want to deal with that. So, you know, it's sort of habit forming. I'll just sort of sleep in again next week. 
And this is a helpful thing to realize that sometimes what you need is the encouragement of other Christians to speak to you, but sometimes you're actually in the, in the habit or the, the, the mode or the operation of just avoiding the thing that you need the most. This is insightful, I think. This happens to the best of us. That sometimes you can actually avoid other Christians, the thing that you need the most. And this is not just happening to people who are just like, you know, trying to hide or avoid it. This, this is a thing. This is a habit-forming engine for missing fellowships. Um, I heard a story one time about a mother who was trying to encourage her son. The, 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 the son said to his mom one Sunday, hey, mom, I, I, I'm not going to go to church today. And the mother said, um, you should go to church. And they had this little mini argument. Like the son is like, no, I, I, I think I'm going to skip church today. And she's like, please, what can I do to get you to go to church? And the son said, well, you should give me three good reasons to go to church, then I'll go to church. So the mom thought for a minute and said, okay, son, here's the first reason. The first reason is um, church is the gathering of the people of God. It's God's formation for persons and for your encouragement. You should go. It's God's design. And the second reason you should go to church is because, you know, in your discouragement, that's probably what you need, and please go to church. And... And the mother thought for a minute and said, well, here's the third reason you should go to church. You're the pastor of the church. And it's a you know, silly story. What's the point? I've been in ministry a long time. I serve a church in leadership. There are days where discouragement is real and you might feel like, I don't want to be around other Christians today. And it's a silly illustration to say, that's not just for new Christians, that's for church leaders, that's across the board. There's something that is drifting in all of our hearts towards the habit formation of not being with other Christians. That's the warning. Does everybody see that? That's the need for encouragement. That's the antithesis. Antithesis means opposite of encouragement. Let's talk about how to do it. Number three is the act of encouragement is in verse 25b. And yes, I apologize for putting a Greek word on your outlines, but in this case, I do think it helps because verse 25 says, not neglecting, but encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. All right, there it is. That's what we're after. That's what you're going to maybe practice at some point in a little bit. But that word there, encourage, we all like it. Like I took a survey in the beginning, everyone is pro-encouragement because we need courage and No one's anti-encouragement, surely not. But the word encouragement there, it is used here and many other times in the New Testament. I want to take you on a little bit of a journey of contextualization and use. But the word there is parakaleo. Here's what that word means. It means calling out alongside. That's literally what the word encouragement means. It does not mean I'm up here and you're down there calling out. No, Para means right alongside you. That's the first half of that verb. On the other half of that verb, it means next to you. You get the picture? You get the imagery? I think it's a very helpful image to know what it means when we say that Christians should speak to one another. It means that Christians call one another alongside each other. All right? It means that um, you're not superior to the other person, nor are you inferior to the other person. This is what encouragement means. That's actually the word itself. So look at your outlines there. It says that what encouragement is, an understanding of it, is speaking the truth about spiritual realities in a way that fits the occasion. Speaking the truth about spiritual realities 
in a way that fits the occasion. And here's your fill-in if you would like to pencil it in. In that verb, both comfort and calling out are implied. Both of those things at the same time. Whenever this word is used, depending on the context, it can mean comfort, it can mean call out, it can mean both. It's a fascinatingly flexible verb in the New Testament, which means well, to encourage. Right? Look, I took, you can take a little uh, journey with me. Look at this. Parakaleo. I, w- I want to encourage you, right? What does it mean? Let's encourage one another. Look at how Peter uses it. This is on your sheet as well. In the book of 1 Peter, Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as soldiers and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh which war against your soul. See that word urge? I underlined it. You know what he's saying? Parakaleo. He's saying, I'm encouraging you. But in the context here, the occasion of 1 Peter, what fits this occasion is he is saying, I'm, I'm urging, urge, please do this. Stay away from the passions of your flesh. That's the word encourage. You could translate that encourage. Same verb. Yet when Paul is in Ephesians 4, look at what he says. So I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you. There's that same word again. So what he's doing is he's, he's saying in this occasion, after he's laid out the theology of chapters 1 through 3, Paul in Ephesians 4 says, now, I'm kind of challenging you. Do you guys see that? In view of who you are, now I, I'm urging you, I'm, I'm calling you to do this, I'm encouraging you. Do you see how encouragement can be a flexible word? Well, here it is now. Look at 1 Thessalonians 3. This is even Stranger, He says, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. He's saying encouraged. There it doesn't mean I'm, I'm calling you out or exhorting you. There it more means parakaleo is used as a, as a, as a comfort. Literally, that's why the translator has put it. In distress and affliction, what fits the occasion of distress and affliction is to say, hey, I'm there for you. That's the same thing. That's implied by the word encourage. 2 Corinthians 7, if you would continue this little journey with me. It says when Paul talks about, in, he says we came to Macedonia, we had no rest, we're afflicted at every turn. There's fighting without and fear within. And I'm so fearful, verse 6, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. What do we see there? The occasion of fear and fighting. We have the encouragement of the presence of another person. That's parakaleo, encouragement. We were encouraged by you. Do you see again how flexible this word is? Is this making sense? Are you guys tracking with me? So far, so good? Yeah? Romans 12, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercy of God. That's encourage. This is interesting. So Paul there has said, I'm calling you out to live in a certain way. Titus 2, declare these things. And he's saying to Titus, I want you to exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Well, in that occasion, as Titus is a pastor in Crete, it seems like Paul is saying that encouragement should be an exhortation and sometimes a gentle correction. And even in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul in his prayer life says, I pleaded with the Lord that it should, that to take this affliction away. And that pleaded there is, I called out. I was, I was begging. I was prayerful about this. That's parakaleo. So my, my point here is to show that there's great flexibility of this. And that in John 14, and certainly in church tradition, do you know the Holy Spirit himself is, re, is referred to as the paraclete? 
That's because he is the comforter. And we get that from John 14 when Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father, and God the Father is going to give you a helper to be with you. So the Spirit is our encourager. He is our helper. He's our comforter. Friends, let's put this together. Do you see that you really need to think about what fits the occasion anytime you open your mouth? Because the word encourage, both comfort and calling are implied. So here's a pro tip. As you're listening to someone, you can always ask yourself, how can I minister the comfort of the gospel and the calling of the gospel? Your speech generally fits into one of those categories. Does this person need comfort or calling? Or probably a combination of both. Let me stop there. Questions, comments, thoughts? Uh, look at that question there that's on, on, how have people used words to help you in your walk with God? Remember this morning how Ben was sharing how someone who just spoke kind words to him? Can I throw that question to you all? Do you guys have memories of a time when someone spoke something to you and you were very helped by it? Think about that real quick. Has anyone ever shared something or said something to you? that you remember was really helpful. Does anybody have an example of that? Allie, go ahead. Right. Did you guys hear that example? It's like, if I have a bad attitude doing something, you're saying, was it your mom you said? Sometimes we do things because it's the right thing to do, not because it's, not because we feel like it. See, that, that, that's helpful in some ways because that's a calling alongside. She's saying sometimes we. See that? Great. Jenna. Right. So was that a comfort or a call? Kind of both. Kind of both. That's kind of genius there, right? Yeah, both of your examples are like, there's a comfort here. And there's a call to persevere. You see that? Yeah, that's a good example. Anybody else? Steve? Wow, so it's a God-centered encouragement there. Someone just saying, remember, God is faithful to take care of his people. But just put wind in your sails. Yeah, yeah. All of these examples are kind words. Do you guys see that? Those are the ones that you remember. Yeah. 
Well, in the interest of time, let me move this to the last thing. Very, very briefly. The motivation for encouragement, according to this passage, is that Jesus is coming again. Did you guys see that in here? Why do we need to speak up to one another? Well, we need to do this all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you know that today we are one day closer to the return of the Lord than we were yesterday? You know, that there's a, a day that is fixed where all people will answer for everything that they've done before the judge of all men. Every time the Bible says the day is drawing near, it's talking about the day of judgment. And non-believers are judged unto condemnation and believers in Christ are judged unto a reward. And I think that's why we need to say, we need to open up your mouth. We need to speak words of grace. That fits the occasion. All right, we're going to do something fun now. Lincoln's going to come up here. The last thing in your packet before we go and you get your assignment is a conversational case study. All right, so look at this. We're going to try to have a little conversation here with you. There is a typo on the sheet because this person suffers from multiple personality disorder. No, it's my fault. I just made a, I just screwed up. Jim is Jack. Yeah, they're the same person. Is Lincoln. So yeah, Jim is Jack is Lincoln and he's confused about who he is as part of his diagnosis. I need discipleship. Um, <clears throat> there are three timeouts that we're going to take in this conversation because we're going to try to put a lot of these skills of speaking and listening together. Let's have a redemptive conversation, so to speak. And I want your input at a couple of different times. All right? Everybody get what we're going to do? Can you guys see that printed on page 64? Um, so this is a, a fictional conversation. I do not have anyone in mind. There's the disclaimer. Um, maybe I have Lincoln in mind. I don't, I don't know how he can do it. So Lincoln's name is Jim, okay? So Jim returned from winter break, and he was exhausted. His home life was not exactly restful, but on top of it all, he spent two weeks in the hospital due to medical complications. Jim's ready smile and big personality concealed his pain very well as he sat down to lunch with Dom, that's me, his roommate and fellowship leader. So everybody understand the context? These are two roommates, but one is older than the other. They're catching up after winter break. What's your name again? Okay. Um, Jack, Jim, Lincoln. Lincoln, how was your, how's your break? It was good. All right, that's going to be a timeout on that. So, <laughs> conversationally, this is what I'm calling a watershed moment, where this is a fork in the road. What are some possibilities that could happen? Because we're in a textbook conversation so far. Friends, we're catching up after winter break. And I have asked a question. I even used one of Lincoln's top 20 hits, and I asked, how are you doing, so to speak? I asked, how was your break, right? And he said, what are some possible branches in the conversation here? Where could this go? Say that loudly. Okay, I, I have the option, as a listener, of persisting more and asking a follow-up question. What else is possible? What could happen? There are a couple branches in the stream. Go ahead, Kobe. Yeah, why, why, is that, why would that be easy? Because he said it was good. He's done talking, right? <laughs> so I could say, well, my winter break, and that would be socially acceptable, yeah? We could leave it at that. We could actually leave, and it would be the shortest lunch. Did I say lunch? 
And it would be a very short lunch. It would be lunch to go, right? <laughs> Which is to go orders. Um, another possibility, I suppose, is we could sit staring at each other. It was good. Somebody else has a thought. Go ahead. No, go ahead. What else could happen conversationally? You're saying I could steal the spotlight. I could. I could bring up something else, because he said it was good. I could, I could interpret his, it was good, as the end of the conversation. So let's talk about calculus. How are you doing on the calc test, right? Right. That's right. Right. So Ali is providing some pretty pro moves to, to have it not feel like an interview, which is that you can share but not steal. Right? Ooh. You can share your, of yourself without stealing the spotlight. That's a pretty pro move. Most of us don't know how to do that, but it's a way to encourage the other person to say, I'm still listening to you but you're sharing in a way that helps them share more. I mean, similar to Ali, you can simply take that comment at face value, like we call it, be skeptics of like, yep. what's really going on. That's right. Wait a second, the next question Wait, here is... <laughs> <laughs> Brian is so pro that he just, well, what, what we're trying to show is that you could move on from the conversation, but I, what I'm encouraging you to do is when someone, after you ask the first question, it is a cultural courtesy to say, fine. Co communication hasn't actually happened substantively. Yeah. And it's kind of a, it's sort of a, a, a social norm for us in Western North American culture to say, how are you? Good, right? That's just normal. If you want to have a substantive conversation, you will have to ask some sort of a follow-up or share of yourself in a way that encourages a follow-up that lingers. Please linger with people instead of being in a hurry. I mean, you said it was good, right? Okay, good, great, chicken. Let's eat chicken, right? Okay. Sweet. So instead of that, we could do that, but here, here's, uh, again, fic fictional, according to Brian Parker. Oh yeah, so what were some of the highlights? It was good, you know, just not having classes and stuff. Yep, definitely. That's true. I love not having classes. Um, how do you feel about being back? Okay, I guess. Okay, like, do you mostly feel burdens, or do you feel joys as you look ahead to this semester? I'm not sure, honestly. I've been kind of in a funk. And that's where we call timeout again. Let's talk about that. Some breadcrumbs, as Brian C. just said, just got dropped into the conversation. What are some possibilities here? So I, I'm listening and I'm trying to listen and there's not really a lot of answers. It's pretty short. Okay, good. Okay, I guess. I'm not sure. I'm in a funk. That's all I'm getting. Let's talk about how could the conversation branch after Lincoln slash Jim just said he's in a funk? What could happen? Ask for clarification, like what is the funk? Does everybody hear that? Say that loudly again. You have to ask for clarification. What happens if I don't ask for clarification? Well, otherwise you could just assume and that would be bad because you're interpreting something that you don't know. 
Right, because Lincoln used a word which I may or may not know the meaning of. He said he's in a funk. And, uh, okay, I may need to do some work to know what he means. Right, so you use the word validate. Validate means to, essentially, to support what the person has just said, particularly the emotional words that they've used, right? That would be a pretty pro move to do right there, yeah. How could this conversation get off the rails, or in terms of turn in an unhelpful way? What would that look like? Mine has been pretty bad, too. Mine has been pretty bad, too. Now let that, me tell you about it. Let me tell you about it. Did you just say funk? You're in a funk? You know what? I was in a funk one time. Yeah. And my, what, I ha what is really good for me in that is, what have I done? I've, I've hijacked it. But what else have I done? There are a couple other rookie mistakes there. Yeah, I've changed the spotlight and I've started talking. What else have I done with the word funk? I've assumed I know what he's talking about. I don't even know if I could define that word. But right. here, here's the error. I have projected my experience with that word onto Lincoln's use of that word. Super tempting to do that. Anytime someone drops a word like, oh yeah, I'm kind of having a hard day, or I'm in a funk, or I'm actually feeling pretty, you know. Bummed out. Yeah. Or even on the positive emotion, sometimes we could do that as yeah. well. We could say, oh yeah, I'm pretty, you know, I'm just chilling, this is going well. And you could assume that you know what that is based on your experience or your use of the word. Instead of assuming or hijacking the conversation, what you could do is continue to ask. I think this is where Christ-like curiosity, hmm. really the rubber yeah. meets the road. When someone says something and you're like, okay, this, I, don't really, I don't really understand what they mean, but I want to linger and I want to understand. So I know this is fictional, but let's go. I think I know what you mean, but here's the question. But what is that like for you? I've been having some issues with my stomach again. To be honest, break was a little rough since I was in the hospital. I just didn't know how to function being back. Classes are okay and stuff, and my doctor says I'm doing fine. Maybe just, I don't know. You ever have conversations crash land like that? Maybe just, I don't know, you know. What would you do to go deeper? That's one question. And what kind of speech do you think fits this occasion? Talk to me. Good. Mm. Great. Sympathetic speech fits this occasion. You could summarize some of the things he's saying to let him elaborate more. So remember, Lincoln gave you that skill earlier. Here's how you summarize. I hear you saying this. Is that what it's like? Yes. If you're able to reflect and summarize and they agree with your summary and they say, couldn't have said it better myself, you've communicated. If you haven't done that, usually you haven't communicated. Good. Who else has a thought? What else could you do? Deeper, con deeper understanding or what speech fits this occasion? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. You would do parakaleo. You would call alongside them. This is not, I'm calling you out. That's not, not that kind of call out, but calling out to them, right? See how that can shift in the different context. Yeah, go ahead. Being gentle with them and just creating a space that they 
Yeah. yeah. I'd love to understand more. Yeah. I'm just here to talk about that more. Yeah, or you could even just say, like, yeah, that sounds really hard. Like, is there something I can do to help? Yeah. Like, in that light, through yep. yeah. explaining that, maybe yeah. you can get more of an idea of what to do. That's right. Yeah. And if the conversation crash lands, you know what you could do right here? What could you do? Yeah, I don't even know what to say. This conversation just kind of got heavy. Uh, pray. <laughs> I don't really know that I fully understand what this is like. Would it be okay if we pray together? That would be a delightful, disciple-making conversation. Yep. And, and you could just ask him this question, what would be the best way I could pray for you right now? Wow. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. What would be the best way I could pray for you right now? Yeah. There's also that question that was asked before. Do you see that? What is that like for you? In conversations, we're kind of interpreting. It's like doing you know, exegesis on people in real time. But we're also after what's valuable for us in ministering to one another is understanding what is the experience like as lived in their shoes. You can always ask that question. Yeah, as, I'm, as you're trying to figure out what this is like or is to say, tell me more about what that's like for you. Because that might be different if I experienced it, right? It's a great question you can usually yeah. ask. Yeah. All right, you're going to have time to practice something like this, which is great. All right, look at the people you're in your cohort with. We're going to take a break and we're going to go to lunch, okay? You still like those people? Doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> here's what I want you to do. Here's your assignment. <clears throat> um, your goal is to for each of you to practice speaking and listening in such a way that fits the occasion. Here's how you're gonna do it. Per Lincoln's cheat sheet, I'm gonna pick the question of what particular burdens or joys are you carrying right now? Okay, that's your opening question. And I'm gonna give you an acronym. It's, it's gonna sound, like, in, it's gonna sound like insurance, but it's A-A-A-R-P, okay? Not A-A-R-P, no. R-P. A-A-A-R-P. This is your assignment. Ready? Here it is. In your cohort, the three A's. Ask, ask, ask. I saw that one coming. Reflect and pray. That's all you're going to do. Do you understand your assignment? You're going to take turns in that regard. And the whole point of the group is to ask questions to learn to speak and listen in a dynamic that helps draw the other person out. You can start with the question of yeah. what burdens or joys. So just to be clear, parents? Dave, this is in a group of four or so. Yep. One person primarily is asking one person, another person, these questions, right? Yeah, or, the group, all, or, is, or is the group doing it together? Yeah, the group can also take a turn okay. to draw out one person okay, who's doing it together. Yeah. Right. Okay. You can all practice harder, again, if you're in a group of four. But I want you to deliberately linger in asking. The work of ministry, I think, happens in follow-up questions, not in one question or not in a drive-by question. A couple other rules for the road. You are, I am not asking you to tell them what you think. I'm not asking you to give your best advice of what they should do. Some of you are gonna really have to fight the urge to say, oh, what you need to do is just, right? If you use the word just, you're allowed to smack the person. Just kidding, okay. You're not cannot, allowed to smack anybody. You're not allowed to smack. Disciple makers wants us to say that. <laughs> right. 
you're going to ask, hey, tell me about some of the top burdens and joys right now. Then you're going to ask, what's that like for you? Or why, why does that particularly feel heavier? Or wherever you'd like to practice. And then you're going to ask. And then you're going to reflect. Here's what I mean by reflect. Summarize reflect. So it, it sounds like for you right now, one of the heaviest things in life going on is the dynamics of your home because at home you feel X, Y, Z. Okay? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. And once you've gotten a yes, I think you get it. You say, let's pray. And you take turns and that person, you can, they can sit in the middle and you can, just, you can pray for them and commit them to their heavenly father. Does anybody have questions about the assignment? And you're going to do this over lunch in the dining room. It's a brown bag lunch, which means you just pick up or grab the sandwich in a brown bag that you made. And you can sit anywhere around Dublin Gap to do this. Anything I'm forgetting about that? Nope. Don't try to tell them all the things that they're doing wrong. You're meant to call out together to your heavenly father. That's the exercise. And it's primarily an exercise where if you can know the person in your group well enough to pray for them, then you have passed Discipleship 101. Can I pray? Let's pray. God, thank you for the time we've had together over the last um, two days. God, to think about what it looks like to do spiritual good to others. God, I pray that the people in this room would do spiritual good to others in this room and outside of this room today. God, I pray that we would increasingly be a people, God, who are convinced that you call us to move towards other people, you call us to initiate, even though it's hard and feels awkward and difficult and uncomfortable. Help us, God, to step out of our comfort zone to, to bring comfort to others by listening well, by reflecting in it, and encouraging. God, I pray you would use us to make much of Christ. God, keep us from our own sinful flesh, which for some of us is going to tempt us to want to speak too quickly. And for others of us is going to tempt us to never want to speak when there's really the time to speak. God, I pray for you to bless us in these conversations. I pray particularly for you to bless this food and the conversations that are going to happen around the food. Would you supernaturally be present and use it for our spiritual good? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.